Hey, this morning we are starting a brand new series titled The One Rule to Having Perfect Relationships. And I'm going to give you that one rule right off the top. Here it is, guys. Ditch your phones. All right? That's it. That's the one rule right there. Ditch your phones. No, I'm just only, I'm only half joking. That's not actually the rule, although certainly the one rule will speak into this idea. Uh, Emily and I were talking about this, uh, this message and this idea. Uh, we had a date last night, and uh, we were talking about it, and she had to keep talking about it as I was on my phone, right? So she was like, Ross, the one rule to having perfect relationship, get rid of your phone because this is killing me, right? Uh, as the server came to our table, I'm on my phone, I'm, I'm dealing with issues, I'm doing things, and like, phones are a block to our relationships, are they not? Like, this may not be the rule, but this is a good rule to follow, right? Ditch your phones. Study after study after study has indicated that over the last 30 years, with the rise of the internet, the smartphone, the technological age, our relationships have suffered tremendously. For most in the Western world, our phones are the first thing we turn to when we get up in the morning. Our phones are the last thing we look at before we go to bed at night, and we are on our phones an average of six hours in between every single day. They are relational blockers, and studies show that the higher your phone use, the more depressed you are and the less satisfaction you have with actual human relationships. So, although this isn't actually the one rule, it is certainly a good rule, and the one rule will speak into this as we look into it this morning. Now, some of you may consider the idea of a relationship being perfect, completely laughable, <laughs> per- per- perfect relation. Yeah, um, no, uh, never, never happened. Never experienced it. Uh, don't believe that it's even possible. You've done your inventory. You've analyzed your relationships, and they are far from perfect. Can I get an amen? Okay, I am with you on that. All right, relationships are far from perfect. Think of all the times this morning, perhaps, that your children would not do what you wanted them to do when you wanted them to do it in the manner you in the manner you demanded it to be done. If they would just figure out how to do your will constantly, then wouldn't your relationship with your children be perfect? And then the threats come out. If you were not back here in three minutes, fully clothed, ready to go to church, I'm going to swat your bottom so hard. I'm going to take away screens for the next month. It would just be perfect if they could just do everything we demanded of them all the time. That's, that's, let's just say that's all perfect relationships happen. You just do what I want you to do and we'll be perfect, all right? That's a joke. You can laugh. Okay, you can chuckle. Don't even get me started on my spouse, we think, right? Oh, you know, if, if he would just help more around the house, even just a little. Like, like, no, he comes home from work and he just says, hey, what's for dinner? As if I haven't been working all day too, you know? As if I haven't been slaving at my job and cleaning up the kids and then he just, after dinner, plops down in front of his phone and on the television, leaving, leaving me to clean up dinner and to do bedtime all by myself. He's so inconsiderate, right? He's always just making plans, never asking what mine might be. It's no wonder we don't have a dating life. And then, of course, he, he's going to respond. You know what? If you didn't nag me so much, maybe I'd want to spend more time with you, you know? All you do is complain, and the house is always dirty, and it's always cluttered, and, and why can't we go on vacation, and you're so fat, and why do you eat that way? And, you know, maybe if you showed me a little more respect around the house, I wouldn't be this way, you know? And by the way, you know, I I never see you taking out the trash. I never see you mowing the lawn. I never see you putting up the Christmas lights. You demand that we have because our neighbors have them. And then we go to work and we have to sit in these meetings run by someone who's not qualified as we are to have his job. And you have to sit next to people who chew loudly and smack their gum and tap their pencils and click their pens. 
And every day you wake up with a slight headache, but by lunchtime, it's a pounding migraine because you have to tolerate these people all day. And then there's Thanksgiving, and you had to go to your in-laws, and you had to tolerate them for six hours. And you had to awkwardly put up with your brother who last year cursed out your father and since then hasn't talked to anybody, but he, you know, of course he shows up for Thanksgiving because there's free food to be put on the table. And you can't wait for Christmas when you get to interact with the other half of the family. You get to see your sister who you used to be really close with until she met that jerk. She became codependent and now she's a jerk. She didn't make you her bridesmaid in her wedding and now her children are rude and you don't want to spend any time with them because they're all jerks. Not even get started on the people driving in these overcrowded streets and shopping in these overcrowded malls and stores. And they never let you merge. They never let you get by when you're cart full of stuff. And they never let you. Do people ever just make you want to scream? Does being in a relationship with people just make you infuriated and you get you can just feel your blood pressure like rise every time you have to interact with morons? Like, you get that? You guys ever feel that way? I know this is a caricature of relationships. I know that all of your relationships are like this. It is a caricature of relationship. But the point is that relating to people can be the most beautiful, heartwarming, wonderful thing when it works well. And we know that. We've experienced that too. But relationships can be horrifyingly, horrible, infuriatingly frustrating when they're not working. And we've all experienced that too. The basic truth of living as a human upon this planet is that people can't be avoided. And guess what? They shouldn't be avoided. They shouldn't be avoided. And some of you are thinking, oh yeah, Ross? Yeah, watch me try. I'll avoid relationships. My dream is that I could go to a deserted island and live there for the rest of my life, not ever having to interact with anyone. If I could just be left alone, I would be one happy individual. And you might think that might be true for a time. But my friends, we need each other. We were actually created to be in relationship, to need each other. We were designed as humans to relate to others in a particular, particular way. And when we don't, our humanity doesn't work right. I mean, think of the several reported cases of children being found who have been raised by animals. They had little to no words. Their behavior was erratic, imitated whichever animal raised them. Their weight was typically one-third of what it should have been for a child their age. They had no coping skills. Several of them died very shortly after being put back in human care. Think of the children in Romanian orphanages orphanages before 1990 who were placed in cribs and left there for days with no interaction from a caretaker. The caretaker had to take care of a a room full of children, and so this one caretaker would would feed and change their their diapers, but that was it, and they would put the child back into its crib, left there with no human interaction. Most of these children suffered from failure to thrive. They didn't gain weight. They didn't develop language. Most of, these, most of their brains and bodies never matured past that at infancy. And over the course of a couple of years, m- many of them died as well. Think of prisoners forced into solitary confinement. You may, you may remember in 2009, Sarah Shore, she was hiking in the Iraqi-Iranian border, and the Iranians took her and put her in solitary confinement for 410 days. Here's what she wrote after being released, after over a year of isolation. After just two months, my mind began to slip, she writes. I would spend large portions of my day crouched down on all fours by a small slot in my cell door, listening for any sounds that might distract me from the terror of my isolation. I suffered from insomnia, nightmares, hallucinations, and emotional detachment. I often had violent panic attacks. More than once, I completely lost control and began screaming and beating at the walls of my cell until my knuckles bled. 
I started to realize that there was a slow disintegration of my personality, my sense of who I was. You are existing in this kind of vacuum. We need each other. We need people. We were created for one another. You see, there is something actually within our design as humans that require us to be people, people. And so the challenge is not to run away from those people who we don't get along with. The challenge is not to run away from those people who have hurt us and whom we have hurt. The challenge is not just to push, you know, punish your children constantly because they're not submitting to your orders. The, ch- the challenge is not just to slam doors or, or close up into yourself because you're beginning to resent your spouse. The, the point is not just to tolerate your boss at work. The point is not just to turn on that cell phone and escape the person in front of you. No, rather, the challenge is to learn to interact with all people in a way that will draw us further into our humanity. So perfect relationships, are they even possible? Are they even possible? In theory, yes, they are possible. But the more important question is, can we actually live by the one rule? And by definition, if relationships require a multitude of people, then can a multitude of people live by the one rule? And here's the thing. You know, we took communion this morning, an indication of our trust in Jesus and a choice to follow him. And by default, did you know then, as a follower of Jesus, that you have already committed to pursuing with all of who you are the one rule that will establish perfect relationships? if you can follow it. Every single time you go to a wedding and you watch people make these commitments to each other, they are declaring a commitment to follow the one rule that in theory could make their relationship perfect if they were willing to follow it. But for some reason, 50% of marriages end in divorce, and half of those that survive indicate that they're not satisfied in their relationship. For some reason, the church that is supposed to be a beacon of light to a world that recognizes it is broken relationally, doesn't do it very well. For some reason, we're not living up to the commitment that we claim that we are to follow. It's challenging, isn't it? Here's what we learn. Humans are unique, right? We're not animals that hunt and claw at one another, who manipulate and use and abuse one another. We are separate and we are different. We are created with a deliberate purpose and intent. Here's what we were told by God in the beginning. Let us make mankind in our image and our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the air, livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. You know, in this ancient day, for a deity to have an image was nothing new. In fact, every deity and every temple throughout the pagan world had an image, a representative figure that they believed housed his essence. But we are not told in this passage that we are to go and make out of clay or stone or rock or steel or metal. We're not to go and form an image of the God in the heavens. We are told, my friends, that we are the image of God. We are created as mankind, as humans, set apart from everything else in all of creation, as image bearers of God. To be like God in ruling and governing, we are image bearers, and we have been endowed with God's essence to represent him and his authority on earth. We were created and designed, my friends, hardwires as humans to function like God functions. This is what it means to be human. And so a few questions that we need to ask then. If, if this is what it means to be human, then what is God's essence and how does God function? Well, the most fundamental answer as developed through God's self-revelation in Scripture is that he is three persons 
and one being bound together by his unifying nature of other-oriented, self-sacrificing, deferring love. And so the Trinity is so complex and it's so hard to wrap our minds around, but we must try if we were to understand how God has designed us to function as humans, right? The persons of the Trinity, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, they defer and encircle the other persons of the Trinity. Each person holds the other persons as more important and as the center of their being. They're oriented in love, to one another, and it creates a beautiful dance of fluid motion that is constantly pursuing and encircling the other. They're not self-interested, but they're other-interested, and they're other-seeking. And this foundational understanding of the Trinity is crucial to understanding how our relationships as human beings upon this planet, made in the image of God, are supposed to work and supposed to function as well. God is Trinity-defining love. And this foundation will be the foundation we use for the rest of the series to understand who we are created to be, and how we are supposed to function in relationship. See, the point is that we are most human when we reflect God in whose image we are made. The point is that we were designed as humans to love one another, to look first to the interest and the priorities of other people, not to ourselves, to care for other people more than ourselves, to encircle other people's lives rather than encircle ourselves, to serve others before we serve ourselves, to give so that another's life might be blessed and might be benefited, to be outward, to be other-focused, rather than inwardly selfish and self-focused. My friends, we are most human when we love. We are most human when we love. Because in our love, we reflect the Trinitarian God in whose image we were made. And we know, of course, that right or perfect relationships is derived from a right and perfectly relating God. So God creates humans uniquely to be like him. And we were. But everybody knows how the story goes, right? We all know how the story goes. And even if you don't know how the story goes, all you have to do is, is look at your own experience upon this planet, and you will know that this is not the default by which most of us are living. All you have to do is take an inventory of your relationships and an inventory of your experience of interacting with other people and experiencing other people, and you will know quickly that this is not how the world works. We use and we abuse and we manipulate others for our own gain. I mean, just yesterday, someone stole my identity by creating an alias for my email. And it looked just like my email, and they sent this email, which basically said, hey, I am in meetings all day, and, and I really need to help a cancer patient out. Someone has contacted me who has cancer, and she needs money. Will you then go get some gift cards, take pictures of them, scratch off the back, take some pictures of them, send them back to me so that I can get this person help? I don't care who I'm exploiting. I don't care whom I'm manipulating. I don't care who I'm coercing. As long as you serve me and getting me what I want, I don't care what it costs you. Manipulation, coercion, you're only good to me insofar as you benefit me. This is the way of the world, isn't it? Isn't that the way? We are selfish creatures. We don't trust we're impatient, we're angry. Now, there's no one who does good. None of us do good. Now, our throats are open graves. Our tongues practice deceit. Our mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Our feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark our ways. That's what Paul tells us about the human condition. Self-sacrifice for the betterment of others? Really? No. Mm-mm. 
uh, other orientation that I would live my life so that your life would be better? No, Mm-mm. nope. Me being self-interested is my default. Me being selfish, me being self-centered is my default. And the reason this is the case, as the story goes, is because the humans in which God imbued his image into, the ones who were human because they functioned in love for God and love for others, they chose to reject this life in pursuit of another. They ate of a tree called the knowledge of good and evil. The tree God explicitly forbade them from eating because he said that if you were to eat it, this life that you currently hold, this life that is full of love and beauty, this love for me and love for others, this life that is functioning like it is meant to function, if you choose to disobey me and eat of this tree, then that life is going to shatter. God said that they would die. But the serpent, of course, comes around and tells Eve, no, 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 no. you're not going to die. No, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And so when humanity eats of this tree, it creates in them this perceived ability to determine what was right from what was wrong, what was good from what was evil. In other words, they became judge. We become judges and we make judgments unconsciously a million times a day. Every time we open our eyes and interact with somebody else, every time we, we, we step in the presence of something or someone, we constantly and immediately make a judgment of that person or of that thing based on our own desires. I determine your worth and that thing's worth based on how closely it aligns with my preferences. That is what judgment does to us. It compels me to determine your worth, your value as a human being on how closely you align with my preferences. And we judge everything. We do this constantly. And as we judge, we sit on our self-made lofty seats and we look down upon a world that we either like or dislike. And in that process, we say, I have the right to determine what is right and wrong, good and evil, and what is right is what I like and what is wrong is what I dislike. In other words, we become kings. We become kings. We all, my friends, have self-reigning hearts. That is the essence of the problem. I am at the center of my being, and everything then revolves around me. It is a heart that is so self-consumed that it cannot take criticism, a heart that is so self-absorbed that it only cares for that which will benefit itself, a heart that is so selfish and self-reigning and self-centered. Martin Luther said that the, that the sinful problem, the human condition, is homo and curvatus in se. It's the heart that is bent in on itself. My friends, we are black holes that suck and consume everything around us. We take and we absorb into ourselves. Everything is directed toward us. And you are the same way, right? You are a black hole as well. And so when our, my black hole heart bumps up against your black hole heart, there is tension and there is war and there is fighting. James, the brother of Jesus, said as much. He said, do you know why you fight? Do you know why you're so angry at each other? Do you know why you quarrel all the time? Do you know why you can't get along? Do you know why your relationships are so painful and why you hurt each other? I'll tell you why. It, becomes, it comes from the desires that battle within you, he says. You desire something, but you can't have it, and so you fight, and you kill each other, and you covet, right? You want that thing. You envy. You covet, but you can't get what you want, and so you quarrel, and you fight. My friends, this is what it means to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We are judges. We are kings. You judge me as I judge you. You try to tell me how to run my kingdom, and we go to war. And that is why conflict exists, and why Relationships are broken. 
because my self-reigning heart will not tolerate your judgment. See, the selfish, self-reigning heart is at the center of every imperfect relationship. The selfish, self-reigning heart is the problem behind every imperfect relationship. And so do me a favor, analyze your relationships for a moment. Take an inventory of all the people that you encounter, bosses, coworkers, neighbors, people in the overcrowded shopping centers, family, in-laws, children, parents. What's broken about them? Where is their pain? Where is their hurt? How have you been hurt? How have you hurt? And what you're going to experience is that envy will lead to your discontentment, and vanity will lead to your pride, and it will lead to unconcern for others, and anger will lead to yelling and degradation, and lust will lead to objectification, and greed will lead to dishonesty, and a lack of trust will lead to secrets, and a lack of communication will lead to resentment. But really, all you're doing as you analyze all of these problems within our relationships, all you're doing is analyzing different ways that this one sin of self-reign is expressed. See, the way the sin is expressed may look different in your relationships than it does in my relationships. It might look different from your neighbor or your boss or your children or your coworker, but my friends, the sin is the same. The problem is the same. Self-reign wears a million different faces, but at the end of the day, everything we call sin is because it is the prioritizing of myself over you and a zealous search to be like God and to recreate the world after our own desires. My friends, I am selfish you are selfish, and the world is in a world of hurt because of it. And if I want to experience the life of God as it was intended to be, relationships that thrive because we're living in love for others and love for ourselves, we're living after, modeled after the Trinitarian God in whose image we were made, then I need to put the self-reigning heart to death. It needs to be put to death. I need to die to my selfishness. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil that is growing up in me and epitomizes me must be cut down. We must surrender our throne, our will, our very lives to the God who is love and allow his spirit and his essence then to drive us and to take up residence once again. See, the one rule to having perfect relationships is so stupidly simple. It's like mind-blowingly simple. The rule to having perfect relationships is so simple and yet it seems like it is impossible It is impossible. It's the same rule that's been expressed 613 times throughout the Old Testament law. It's the same rule that Jesus condensed down to two commandments in the New Testament while he taught, and then he illustrated it with one single command upon his death. He said this, my command to you, the one rule then that will establish your perfect relationships is this, love each other as I have loved you. The one rule to having perfect relationships is that we would love one another the same way God through Jesus has loved us. See, this is the mystery as to why the Bible is so thoroughly committed to love above all else. This is why we are called to love God and to love others with everything that we are. This is why Paul told the Corinthians to do everything in love. And if what you do is not done in love, then it is meaningless. And this is why he wrote the Galatians that the only thing that matters is faith expressing itself in love. And this is why he wrote the Ephesians telling them that to imitate God means to walk in love. And this is why he wrote Timothy saying that all of his instructions could be summed up in this one command, love one another. And this is why John wrote his audience telling telling him that all of his instructions from the beginning could be summed up in love. And this is why Jesus said that one's 
who follow him would be known by their love. The reason the Bible is so thoroughly committed to love above all else is because love is the self-sacrificial, other-oriented choice to put others above ourselves. Love is the self-sacrificial, other-oriented choice to put another person above ourselves. And the reason the Bible is so thoroughly committed to love is because God is love and we are made in his image to relate rightly in love with him and with others. To live and to love like God loves is what it means to be uniquely human. And when we don't, we are damaged. And not only are we damaged, but when we don't love, that is when we damage other people. And we hurt when we are far from God and his purpose for us as humans. And when we are hurt, when we are far from God, that is when we hurt others. My friends, that is when we function more like animals than humans. And here's why Christmas is such a special season, I think. And here's why I love Christmas so much. You know, God knew from day one that the world and mankind did not function as we were intended to function, that something was broken with our experience upon this planet. And he did every he, he had every single right to say, you know what, humanity, yeah, you screwed yourselves over. You know what, you might as well just go fix it yourselves. Good luck with that, by the way. You get yourself into this mess, good luck getting yourself out of it. He had every right to say that. I mean, we chose, didn't we, with every single warning put before us? I mean, God had lined that tree with caution tape, and we burst through it, and we ate of that fruit. We chose to abandon God. We chose to reject his infinite love for us. But God, in his infinite love for us, that would not die, that would not give up, God, in his infinite love for us, made us alive with Christ even while we were dead in our sin. You see, for God so loved the world that he sent his only son, and he gave his only son, that whoever might believe in him, trust in him, commit their lives to following after him, shall not perish but have everlasting life. And this new life is a gift of grace. We had not earned it. We do not deserve it. It is simply a gift of his grace. My friends, Christmas is a great, incredible gift, is it not? At Christmas, God came to reorient our life to take our hearts that were bent in on themselves and turn them outward in love for him and love for others. God did not come into the world just to save us and to present us with some afterlife that was more favorable than our present life. God came to reorient our life. God came to remake us, to recreate us after his own image once again. At Christmas, we remember that the Christ child was to be named Jesus because he would save his people from their sin that he would reorient their life, that they wouldn't have to live under the selfish pursuit of their own self-reign and their own self-interest any longer, that they wouldn't have to be far from God where they hurt and where they are damaged and where they hurt others and where they, did, they damage others. They wouldn't have to be living out in that wasteland any longer, but they could come near God and live as God has created them to live because in Christmas, God is reorienting our life. In Jesus, God is remaking us. God has come to rescue us from our wayward, skewed selves and to set us back upright and to make us as we were intended. 
You see, to be genuinely human means to relate, right, relate rightly to God and to relate rightly to others. And this baby born to this humble manger who would live a perfect life and die a sinner's death and defeat death by rising from the grave. He not only secures this new life, he models this new life, but he also empowers this new life. And that is a gift that is offered to us at Christmas. And so love. Love, love, love. It's such a wonderful thing, but isn't it a very confusing thing as well? In our culture especially, that skews love and has its own definitions for love. Love can be very, very confusing. And so over the next several weeks, we are going to dissect what love is. We are going to get down to the nitty-gritty, the fine print of what it means to love others and be in love with God and with others. I do welcome you back for the continuation of the series. But the question that I, I want you, as if you're a follower of Jesus this morning, the, the question that I want to leave you with, the question I want you to think about and to pursue as you encounter anybody, as you interact with anybody, as you come across, I don't care who you come across, your enemy, your, your, your worst enemy. Here's the question that as genuinely humans made in the image of the Trinitarian God, here is the question that we are ought to be asking ourselves. What does love require of me? And you may not have an answer, but you need to at least be asking the question. What does love require of me? If you are a follower of Jesus, let us start right here. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, continue taking that inventory of your relationships. Continue to ask yourself, is this really how life was meant to be upon this planet? Am I really supposed to hurt this much? Am I really supposed to feel this damaged? Is this relationship really supposed to be this bad? Because I think when you ask yourselves those questions, and you analyze and you, on, you get honest about your situation, you realize that you desire deeply within you for something more and for something to be different. And my friends, there is an invitation awaiting you for something to be different. Jesus Christ came into this world not just to save us so that our lives could be horrible here, but that we would have heaven someday. He came to reorient our lives right now and to remake us after God's own image today. And that can be available to you. If you are somebody this morning who recognizes that you are just so broken and you hate the feeling of being broken and you know your relationships aren't functioning as they ought to and you want restoration for your relationships, you want restoration for your life, then I'm going to say a prayer and this prayer isn't going to save you. It is the trust that you are committed to. Recognizing what God has done for you and and putting your life into Jesus' hands, surrendering your will, your selfishness, cutting down that tree of the knowledge of good and evil, saying, God, I don't want to be selfish anymore. I don't want the self-reigning life to, to rule me any longer. I want to be as I was intended and created to be. I want to live within the beauty of how I was designed. God, do this in me. I submit and I surrender, Father, to what you have done for me through Jesus Christ. It is that trust that saves you. And so I'm going to invite us to stand, and, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say a prayer for us. And, and whether you've, you've, you've acknowledged this before, then let it be a recommitment today that you are going to say, I'm going to walk out of this place and say, you know what, what does love require of me? This is going to be my guiding principle as I interact with people. I'm going to ask this question as I interact with my spouse and my children and my coworker and my boss whom I despise. What does love require of me? 
Because that is what it means to be human, and we are made in the image of a Trinitarian God. And if you need this life within you this morning, if this is the first time you're crying out to God and say, God, I don't want to be broken any longer. I want you to restore me. Then I encourage you to say this prayer with me. It's a prayer of trust. It's a prayer of faith. Jesus, I acknowledge that I am a sinner, and I have rejected you. And that sin has manifested itself in my life in so many different ways. From, from the little things that I do, being passive towards those in need, all the ways I fail to love, to the, the outburst of anger, to the abuse and the use and the manipulation and the coercion. I use other people, God. I know this, God. I, I am broken because I'm far from you and I hurt and I am damaged and I'm hurting other people and I'm damaging other people because I'm far from you. But God... You say that if I put my trust in you, that I can come near to you and you will remake me? Yes, Father, that is exactly what I'm longing for this morning. This is my prayer, Father, because you have died to sin and you have destroyed its mastery over me, Father. I put my trust into you this morning and I pray and I invite you into my life so that you will do a good work in me to change me from the inside out in all of my selfish ways and all my self-reigning heart, Father, my heart that is folded in on itself, Father, may you unfold it so that love for others, genuine love for others, and genuine love for you might overflow from me. And I would become more generous and more giving and more serving, Father, and I would look to the interests of others, and I would do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but I would consider how I might be a servant to those people whom I used to use. And I would be a, a, a kind giver to those people whom I used to manipulate and coerce change my life, Father. I ask, Father, I ask that you would change my life. Empower me then by your spirit to live this life. In the name of Jesus and the power of Jesus, I pray, Father, and I surrender. Amen. Hey, if you prayed that prayer this morning, genuinely from your heart, you need to know that God is already, even now, doing a work in you to reorient your heart and reorient your life. And my friends, we want to celebrate this new life and this reorientation with you. We have a baptism coming up on the 29th of this month. And I would strongly encourage you guys, you need to proclaim your faith. You need to, to say, I am part of this body. I'm part of this new life. God, I want to be part of this community so that I can continue to grow up with them into my humanity. And so if, if you need to be baptized, if, if you as a believer of Jesus have never been baptized, you've never made that, that public declaration, then this is the time to do it. The 29th, let me know. Come and find me afterward. You can go to the Next Step kiosk and let us know as well. It's such a very special day. But for all of us, let us go asking this very simple question. What does love require of me? Let that guide me in the way I interact with others because, my friends, truly, I believe this is what it means to be human. And if you want perfect relationships, that, my friends, is how you get there. God bless you all in this day. Go in peace. Go love your neighbor.